listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. This is our 10-minute mystery edition, a little slice of intrigue in the middle of your week. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with me is our storyteller and journalist, Paula Schleiss. Hi, everybody. In downtown Canton, on Market Avenue South, there is a modern hotel, a Doubletree by Hilton, that just this year underwent a $21 million renovation. It's a building you will not find on any picture of downtown Canton in 1970. There was a different building on that spot, a rather historic structure. It was called the McKinley Hotel, and in its heyday, it hosted the likes of silent film star Rudolph Valentino and entertainer Al Jolson. But the decades were not kind, and as the building aged and struggled from lack of care, It was given a new purpose. In 1970, the McKinley Hotel was the kind of place that allowed struggling folks to pay rent by the week or the month as they could find the funds and took in an overflow of homeless sent by the nearby Salvation Army. And on March 11 of that year, in room 50, there temporarily dwelled a family of six. The mom was Charlotte Estelle Rexrode a pretty woman with short black hair and a frame that managed to be both tall and petite. She had four children, 14-year-old Mary, six-year-old Martha, five-year-old Freeman, and four-year-old Maggie. Living with them was Charlotte's boyfriend of five years and the father of her two youngest children. His name was Freeman Wine Sr., a freckle-faced, ginger-haired auto mechanic. Everyone called him Red. Like Charlotte, he'd been born in West Virginia. And he had a reputation for being a drinker, a freeloader, and a thief. He wasn't without valuable skill. They said he could take apart a car engine and put it back together in under two hours. In 1970, he was working at Schlemmer Buick, about a mile from the hotel. Though nobody really expected that job to last. His jobs never lasted. In 2010, the Canton Repository talked to Charlotte's brother, Glenn Rexrode Jr., who said Freeman was a bad actor, as worthless as they come. But then again, his sister always seemed to attract the wrong guy. Charlotte was a veteran. She had served in the Navy, a section called WAVES, which stood for Women Accepted for Volunteer Emergency Service. Her first child was born back then, and her family believed the child to be the offspring of a married naval officer. In 1970, the 34-year-old Charlotte was raising her little family in a very tough area of Canton. A couple of blocks from the McKinley Hotel was a stretch of strip bars, Landmark Cafe, Newt's Pool Room, State Burlesque, the Factory Bar, the Hub Cafe. It attracted Canton's lower working class and was referred to by police as Skid Row. A retired police officer, James Crawford, told the Canton Repository they were the kind of places that guys would get out of jail, then go over there and spend their last $5 on wine. This is the area where Charlotte Rexrode vanished. It happened on March 11, 1970, a cold and rainy Wednesday night. 
Charlotte and her boyfriend, Freeman, left their room in the McKinley Hotel to take some clothes to the laundromat. The four children stayed behind, watched over by the teenage Mary. A few hours later, Freeman came back. Charlotte never did. Charlotte's daughter, Martha, spent many of her adult years searching for her mother. The face she last saw as a six-year-old is the face she scans for in crowds, in stores, while walking around town. Martha shared her story with the repository, and it was all the more poignant because she can't even be sure if her mother was killed that night or simply walked away from a burdensome life. Martha was torn as to what she wanted to believe. If her mother was alive, it meant she and her siblings had been deserted that night 50 years ago. But the alternative, the hope that her mother loved them and would never have left them, means wishing her mom was murdered. Even though she was very small, Martha remembered enough about those early years to know they were hell. Before room 50 at the McKinley Hotel, they had lived in shelters and in cars. Food was whatever they could get. She remembered her favorite meal was buttermilk and Oreos. She also remembered her mom's boyfriend was a mean drunk who was constantly hitting everyone. She said, for me growing up, he was always the monster, the person I was afraid of. The night her mother disappeared, Freeman Wine returned to the hotel room alone, drunk and belligerent enough that the police were called, and he was arrested on a charge of intoxication and spent the rest of that night in the city jail. In the morning, 14-year-old Mary left her younger siblings in the care of someone at the hotel named Lovey, then walked to the police station to tell them her mother had not come home the night before. They took a report. Charlotte had been wearing a pink blouse and a blue skirt with a blue scarf and a gray coat. It certainly didn't seem like she had planned to be gone all that long. She had left wearing her brown slippers. The officer wrote in his report, Mary felt that perhaps the stepfather did something to her due to the fact that her mother wasn't the kind of woman who stayed away from home. At the time Mary was talking to the police, Freeman had already paid a $10 fee to get out of jail, and officers found him at the Landmark Cafe to question him about Charlotte's whereabouts. He said after leaving the hotel with their load of clothes, they changed their plans. They decided to go to Skid Row on Tuscarora Street and have a drink at the Landmark. But this story changed in the retelling. Later, he said it was the factory bar that they headed for. Some stories threw in a stop at the Hub Cafe and the pizza restaurant. He also changed his story on how the night ended. In one story, he said Charlotte was dancing with another man. He left a seat to go to the bathroom, and when he got back, she was walking out of the door with her dance partner. It was about 9 p.m. In another story, he said Charlotte left with a man and a woman, telling Freeman she was off to have a good time, and he should do as he pleased, ignoring his request that she stay with him. Even after that first story... The officers were not too sure that he was being truthful. One officer wrote in his report, We did bring the subject back to headquarters with us. 
where we did attempt to interrogate him further, reference his wife. However, he could give us no further information. And then it seemed like the police were leaving the search for Charlotte up to him, the very person that her children suspected. The report said he was advised to check the places his wife may go, also with relatives in the city and out of the city, and that he would be contacted later. To the police, Freeman said Charlotte had an operation for cancer recently and hadn't been herself, that she had taken no interest in him or her family lately, and suggested that's why she ran away. To her children, Freeman said their mother was a whore who had left them. The other children were separated from their younger half-siblings and put into foster care. Eventually, they were all adopted. The teenage Mary went to live with her uncle in West Virginia. The three youngest were taken by a couple in Canton. Martha said as an adult, she tried to take a critical look at the police investigation back then and ended up with more questions than answers. Where were the clothes they had taken to wash? Why hadn't the police come to the hotel room to look for clues? Why hadn't they confiscated Freeman Wine's clothing? Memories fade, but her six-year-old mind still remembers seeing what looked like blood on Freeman's jeans. She also remembers her sister repeatedly telling their first foster parents that she thought Freeman had killed their mother. At the time of that 2010 Canton repository story, Canton police hadn't even added Charlotte Rexroad's case into the National Missing Persons Database though it is now on several sites. Charlotte's children were also making plans to get their DNA on file so it could be compared to any unidentified remains. In 1996, Martha and her younger sister Maggie tracked down Freeman Wine Sr. He was still alive, living in a one-bedroom trailer in Somerville, West Virginia. He invited them down. They chatted for three hours, but Martha said it was a bizarre and unsatisfying trip. He was confined to a wheelchair, had suffered a stroke, and kept saying he just didn't remember much of that night. Well, if he did have any answers, they died with him. He passed away in 2008. That's it for our midweek 10-minute mystery. We'll see you here Sunday for our next regular full-sized Ohio mystery episode. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of your week, and may all of your mysteries have happy endings. Hello, my name is Peter Zablocki, and I'm a historian, author, and college professor. I'm thrilled to invite you to check out Evergreen Network's History Shorts podcast. Every Tuesday and Thursday, join me on a journey through time, exploring the little-known and hidden gems of history. In each bite-sized episode, I'll dive into my original research to bring you intriguing historical curiosities you've probably never heard of, uncovering the fascinating stories that have shaped our world from forgotten figures to overlooked events. And the best part? I've condensed all this historical goodness into manageable chunks, perfect for your on-the-go lifestyle. Whether you're commuting to work or squeezing in a quick break, 
History Shorts fits into the little time you probably think you don't have. Subscribe now and never miss an episode of the History Shorts podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts.